Would you open your Bible to Revelation chapter 9? Revelation the ninth chapter. We're so grateful for the ministry of Dr. J. Harold Smith and the blessing he was these past five days. Tremendous man of God. We want to remember him in prayer. Thank God for his mighty ministry and the great blessing that came to our hearts as he preached night after night. May we bow together in a moment of prayer just before we read from the Word of God. Revelation chapter 9. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the privilege of prayer. We do join together in praying for Brother Dahal and the Christians of Nepal for the freedom of the gospel to go there. Now tonight, may the Holy Spirit open our hearts and open our minds and give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And may we see from the written Word of God a testimony to Jesus. And may we recognize that we live in very perilous days, days that are just before the coming of the Lord and then the awful judgment of the earth. Have thy way tonight. And may someone who has never been saved come to Jesus tonight. We pray in his name. Amen. I felt impressed for some time to bring this series of messages on the book of Revelation. If the Lord tarries, I intend, and I stay here or wherever I preach, I intend to preach on this book because God has given it, laid it on my heart. But it could well be that this is the last series of messages in this pulpit from the book of Revelation because the Lord may come. He is coming. I believe we're, we're seeing the stage set for either the second coming of Jesus or an imminent judgment in our world. And just as in the days of the Old Testament, in the days of Josiah the king, the people of God repented and they turned back to God. God held back the tides of the Assyrians, the tides of tyranny, and God gave the nation Israel a little bit longer. The same thing happened to Nineveh under the preaching of Jonah. God said, Jonah, rise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach. Jonah tried every way in the world to get out of it. Finally, he went to Nineveh and preached, and all the people of Nineveh repented, and God spared the Ninevites and the Assyrians a little bit longer, but it wasn't a permanent thing. And after a while, the Babylonians came and took over Nineveh, the Battle of Carchemish. Now, we, we face that tonight in our world. Perhaps God has given America a little longer. Maybe there's going to be a little bit more liberty. I don't know how aware we are of the closing doors and the problems that are, we're facing all over the nation and how in California already some of the churches are being taxed and in Mississippi a preacher recently was arrested from his pulpit and taken to jail a Baptist preacher in Mississippi and on and on we're going to see some of that happen I hope and pray that there will be a little bit of reprieve on this in these next few years. But regardless of how that turns out, the Bible says there's coming an awful day of judgment on this earth when it will be against the law to be a Christian. Just as it is 
in Nepal right now. Now in the book of Revelation chapter 9, we have come to the heart of the tribulation period. And for a moment or two, I'd like for us to see where this passage fits in to the outline of Revelation. But I want to read the 21 verses of this chapter, and I hope you'll follow along in the Bible. Revelation 9, beginning with verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded. Now there are three series of judgments in the book of Revelation on the, it, during the tribulation. Judgments on this earth. The first is the series called the seal judgments. The seventh seal judgment opens up into the trumpet judgments, seven trumpet judgments. And the seventh trumpet judgment opens up into the seven vile judgments or veil judgments or bowl judgments, which are the ultimate end. The book of the, the time of tribulation is a period of possibly seven years, divided three and a half and three and a half. In the Bible, the tribulation period extends from Revelation 4 through Revelation 19. From the rapture of the church in Revelation 4 to the glorious coming again of Jesus in chapter 19. And in chapters 4 and 5, we see the catching away of the bride of Christ as those who have been saved are caught up to be with the Lord. And then in chapter 6, we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the Antichrist riding across the scene on a white horse. And then that white horse turns to red, blood, bloodshed, war, famine, pestilence, and all of those things. And then we see the people of God assembled before the throne of God crying, O oh Lord, how long, how long ere you judge this earth and bring vengeance on our blood? And then in chapter 7, we see the sealing of the 144,000 Jews who will be Jewish evangelists during this period. And then they go out and propagate the glorious gospel and hundreds and thousands are brought to Christ in the last part of the seventh chapter. We see the innumerable multitude gathered before the throne of God and the question is raised, who are these? And the answer is, these are they who have come out of great tribulation. Then in chapter 8, we see the seal opened, the seventh seal opened, and there is silence in heaven for the space of, three, of 30 minutes. And then the angel cries out, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And the judgments of the trumpets begin. And in chapter 8, we see the first trumpet, the second trumpet, and the third trumpet, and the fourth trumpet. And these are trumpet judgments on this earth after Christ has come and taken his own out. Now I want to tell you, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, if the Lord should come tonight before this service is over and you have not received Christ, you're going to remain in the earth and the whole judgments of God will be upon this earth and you'll be in the midst of it all. And the only escape during that period is for those who hear the gospel from the Jewish evangelists and they receive Christ, they reject the mark of the beast and immediately they are killed for the word of God.
Now that's what this nation is heading to. That's what America is heading to. That's what all the nations of the world are heading toward. That's what's going to happen in the earth. Now somebody will say, but preacher, how do you know that's going to happen? Isn't that just your idea? Now listen to this. 200 years ago, when men began to read the Word of God and study prophecy, 400 years ago, 800 years ago, 1,000 years ago, back in the days of Augustine, all through the ages, men who have taken the Word of God and have believed in the verbal inspiration of the Scripture have been preaching these same things. Same things. For example, I heard Mordecai Ham when I was a young boy in Louisville. He had a great big old barn over in Louisville. Mordecai Ham was from Bowling Green, Kentucky. He's the man that won Billy Graham to Jesus. I heard Mordecai Ham tell us that the Jews were all going back to Palestine. I was a young boy. And I heard discussion over that. Some people said, why, he's just crazy. The Jews aren't ever going to go back to Palestine. Why, that's not going to happen. In 1948, that's exactly what happened. And what Mordecai Ham preached is what men had been preaching all through the ages. If you take seriously the Word of God, you take seriously the Scriptures relating to the coming of Christ, that He's coming in the air for His own, He's coming to the earth with His own between those two great events. There is coming the most awful judgment on this earth the world has ever known. We've never seen anything like it. Those of us who were alive during the 1940s, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, heard of terrible atrocities that were going on in Germany. I would wager to say that most of us did not believe all we were hearing. We had heard by radio. We had heard of the seat in the newspaper, just a little bit of it. And we'd say, that couldn't happen. They'd say, they were saying that the Germans were killing the Jews. And we say, well, that couldn't happen. But when the war was over, we learned the truth of it had never been told. Half of it had never been told. Six million Jews were exterminated by Adolf Hitler. But I want to tell you that judgment on the Jews during that awful war, World War II, was nothing compared to what's going to happen during the tribulation period. Nothing. It was like a Sunday school picnic. The awful judgment that is before us. Now listen to these words from Revelation 9. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven into the earth. A better translation would say, I saw a star fallen. It had already fallen from heaven into the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared unto battle. 
And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as if they were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them who is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollon. One woe is past. And behold, there come two more woes, more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Loose the four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed and were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousands. That's 200 million people. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of iron and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of man killed, by the fire, by the smoke, by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths, and their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents and had heads with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men who were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Satan's storm against souls is what I've entitled this chapter, Satan's Storm Against Souls During the Awful Period of the Tribulation. Now some will immediately say, Preacher, you cannot take these passages and make them applicable and interpret them. They're all dark passages and all these strange-looking animals and strange horses and so on. You can't make anything of that. Well, I submit to you, the Bible says in Revelation 1-3, Blessed is he that readeth, and he that heareth the words of this prophecy, and they that heed it. Now, we may not understand every jot and tittle of Revelation, but we can certainly get the great panoramic view of what's occurring. And as we see God at work, we see the warnings from this Scripture that between the rapture of the church, when Christ's own body is taken out of this place, and then Christ comes back in the fullness of power and power and great glory with his own. Between that, in heaven, according to chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, and in chapter 4 of 2 Thess 1 Thessalonians, there takes place the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And we sing the songs of the redeemed. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. That's what's going on in heaven. But here on the earth, beginning in chapter 6, 
we see the tragedy that occurs for those who have rejected God and rejected truth. Now, I want to suggest to you, years ago, I asked Flora Dotson. I respected her a great deal. She was a missionary in China for 40 years. She was a great Christian. She was a Christian after the order of Bertha Smith. Some of you know her, a great missionary. And Lottie Moon and so on. I asked Miss Flora Dodson one day, do you believe in the premillennial return of Jesus? She said, I sure do. Well, I said, Miss Flora, when Jesus comes for his own, what will the world think? Do you think the world will understand what's happened? She said, they'll scarcely notice it. And I pondered that. I wondered about that. I think they'll notice a little bit. But soon, through the medium of NBC and CBS and ABC, they'll explain it all naturally. They'll have a reason for it all. And they will ignore that God has been at work. They'll just pass over. They won't, they're not sharp enough to get that God was involved in this just like in a recent occurrence in America. They scratched their heads. I was interested the other night when people all over America, they'd switch back and forth over here to the West Coast and over to the East Coast and down in the South and up in the North. They'd say, well, how do you make of this? What do you think happened? Well, they say, I don't know. This happened or this happened or this happened. Not a one of them said God had anything to do with it. Not a one of them. They just don't know. And that's what will happen when the rapture occurs. They will not understand that God has intervened. Now, when the... When the earth is shaking in turmoil. We see these judgments occurring. And when the judgment begins, it will come quickly. Just like that. It will not delay. It will not be long. It will occur in rapid fire succession. This is the meaning of Revelation 1.1. The things which must shortly come to pass. That phrase does not mean things which must shortly come to pass in point of time from the time John wrote. But the phrase in the Greek means that when they begin to occur, they'll occur like just like that, just like the rapid fire of an automatic. And this is what will occur. Now, when we get to chapter 9, we see, first of all, the angel sounding and the star falling from heaven, the fifth trumpet. In this trumpet judgment, the wall of separation between hell and earth disappears. Now listen to that. Let me say it again. The wall of separation between hell and earth disappears. Tonight, did you know, we have no idea what goes on in hell. We can read Luke 16 and know that in hell they're in torment and they cry out, oh, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. I am in torment. We can see this picture about the burning hell, and we can say, oh, isn't that tragic and that terrible? But I want to tell you, we have no idea what goes on in hell. There is no way we can express it. But in this chapter, we see for the first time in the earth, the wall of separation between hell and earth taken away. Years and years ago, a man named Jim White was a going through New Mexico. And he saw what looked like a very strange phenomenon. He said, I saw smoke pouring out of the ground. Pillars of smoke, just billows of smoke, just like a smokestack, just pouring out of the ground. It was in a distance. And he said, I, I got closer and closer to it. He said, by the time I got there, it all disappeared. And he said, I went on my way. 
He said, the next day I saw the very same thing. He said, I'm, I decided to just go and wait. And he went, went over there where that hole in the ground was. And at a certain hour, he saw all that smoke come pouring out of the ground. And when he looked at it, he said, well, that's not smoke at all. Those are bats. Thousands and thousands and thousands of bats. You know what that was? That was the discovery of Carlsbad Caverns. And in that underneath cavernous area, bats had lived for thousands of years. Hundreds and thousands of them. And nobody had ever known that place was down there. Now, in, if you could visualize that, that's what John saw. John saw, said, I saw this hole appear and smoke came up and he said, when I got closer and looked at it, the smoke was like locusts. Now, they weren't really locusts, so they were like locusts. And he describes them all. And in this same section, he says, they had a king over them. And the king, in the name, in the Greek language, was Apollon. But in Hebrew, it was Abaddon. You know who that is? That's the devil. That's Satan. And Satan... Not only in an earlier chapter we see him cast down from heaven, but here we see him loosed from hell. And Satan is ruling and reigning and reeking in this earth during the tribulation period. And we read in Revelation 13 that he does this by the power of the Antichrist. He actually inhabits the Antichrist. There are some who believe that just as there was an incarnation of God in Christ. There will be an incarnation of the devil in the Antichrist. And some have even gone so far as to suggest that the incarnation of the devil in the Antichrist is the incarnation in Judas Iscariot, that Judas will be the Antichrist. I don't know whether they believe what to believe about that, but that's a suggestion that's been made by someone. But I want to tell you, the devil is going to come and be incarnated in this earth during the tribulation period. You think you've, you've met people that live like the devil. You think we have problems in this earth now. There's nothing compared with what's going to happen. The Bible gives the devil many names. He is called the arch deceiver, Abaddon, the accuser, the adversary, the angel of the bottomless pit, Apollon, Belial, Beelzebub, devil, god of this world, murderer, prince of devils, prince of the power of the air, prince of the world. The Bible gives seven, uh, seven descriptions or seven things that the devil does. Number one, he is the god of this world. Number two, he contends with the saints. Number three, he tempts to disobedience. Number four, he slanders and accuses the saints. Number five, he confuses the word. Number six, he blinds the minds of the lost. Number seven, he is destined for judgment and perdition. And the Bible says in John chapter 16, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will reprove the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The prince of this world is the devil. The devil has already been judged at Calvary, but the sentence has not been carried out yet. And so the devil is free. Right now he is the prince of the power of the air. Right now he works in the minds of men. But there's coming a day on this earth when he who hinders will hinder no longer according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, who is he that hinders? He that hinders is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that one who hinders the work of the devil. 
The reason the devil cannot completely take over this world, the reason the devil hasn't already killed you. The reason there are Christians that are somehow managing to survive in every nation on the earth, the reason the Christian gospel can still be preached, the reason when Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, the reason is because of the Holy Spirit. But there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit will be taken out. The Holy Spirit will be taken out when the rapture of the church occurs and the believers are taken out. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? He doesn't dwell out here in the air somewhere. He doesn't, he's not under the benches of the church. He's not in the piano or in the choir somewhere or over in the office or somewhere. The Holy Spirit is in you and in me if we're saved. And he has just the degree of power in the earth that we give him. Did you ever think of that? He has no more power than you give him. You mean the Holy Spirit can be limited? Yes. He is limited by the degree of authority and power we allow him to have through us. That's the reason it's not right for us to pray, come Holy Spirit, he's already here. That's the reason it's not for, right for us to tarry and say, oh, I want to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're already baptized by the Holy Spirit if we're saved. What we need to do is get before God and say, God, I want to die to myself. I want that Holy Spirit that is within me to possess my hands and my eyes and my ears and my hands, my feet, my body, my comely parts, my uncomely parts. I want him to have me. And when he has complete charge of us, there's no end to what he can do through us. But there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit will be removed. He'll be taken out from this earth. And when the believers are taken up, out, caught up to be with the Lord, then this earth will get darker and darker and darker, and then it is that Satan will be permitted to come and reign in this earth. That's the terrible blight of the tribulation period. Now, it can be compared in a way that we can understand it today. For example, as Brother DePaul spoke to us, or DeHaul spoke to us earlier in Training Union, it was almost inconceivable that, to live in a nation where it's against the law to be a Christian. One-year sentence if you're a Christian. Two-year, three-year sentence if you try to win anybody else to Jesus. Six-year sentence if you baptize somebody. He said there's demonic possession, demonism there. Do you know that America never knew anything about demonism? Listen to this. Until until after I was 25 years old. You who are 50, before you were 25, did you know anything about demonism in America? We heard about it in Africa, we knew about it in Asia, but it wasn't here. Why? Because the Christian community was, was allowing the Holy Spirit to have so much, such power that demonism didn't have an opportunity. But now demonism has opportunity in America, and it's everywhere. People are filled with demons. Now, I'm not an exorcist, and I hope none of you will go see the exorcist if it comes to town. That's a tragedy, tragedy. But the Holy Spirit is the exorcist, and he can get the demons out if we surrender to him. But there's coming a day on this earth during the tribulation when that hole will open up. And all that cloud of smoke will come up. And it's really the power of the devil. And if we notice a little bit more closely, look in verse 7. 
and the shapes of the locusts were like horses prepared to battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold and faces like the faces of men. They had their hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates as if their breastplates were of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. I want you to notice God is still in control. God is still sovereign. They don't have complete control. They just can do it a little while. God is still sovereign. Something else to notice here. It seems to me that this is a description of false doctrine. Under the permission of God that goes forth in this earth. Now when you compare that to what the scripture tells us in 2 Thessalonians, and hold your finger there and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look at what God says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all might be judged who believe not the truth, believed, past tense, not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 11, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You know what that's telling us? There's coming, a, and this is speaking of the time during the tribulation, there's coming a time when men will believe the lie. And the false doctrines that are being peddled on the earth today, why do people not all, why doesn't everybody gobble them up? When the Mormons come to your door and knock, and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the cultists and the Jim Jones group and the, all the other groups come and try to peddle their doctrines to you, why don't you believe them? Some of you do. When the Moonies come and try to sell their flowers and cherries and candy and so on, you, they get a lot of Baptist money. That's a tragedy. You know what the Moonies believe? They believe that Jesus was a failure because he didn't marry and have perfect children. And so Song Mong Moon of Korea determined that he wasn't going to be a failure. And so he, he feels that he's the anointed Messiah, so he has as many children as he can. In Korea, it really didn't make any difference who their mother was. I, I got this from the Korean Christians when I was there. They said, well, we know about Song Mong Moon. He said, nobody here believes in him anymore. We sent him to America where the saps will believe in him. That's what one of the preachers told me. He said, here, he had many women because his theology taught it. He said he had to have many, many children because his philosophy is that through marrying and having perfect children, he'll bring redemption to this earth. Now he's changed his philosophy a little bit here because it's against the law to do that in America, but there's still some of it going on. That's what the Moonies believe. When you give their money, your money to buy their flowers and so on, that's what you help support. But do you know why we don't all believe that? You know why we don't swallow hook, line, and sinker all of that stuff? Because the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. And he gives a discernment. He says, that, there's something wrong with that kind of doctrine. There's something wrong with that. Why do you know there's something wrong with that? The Holy Spirit tells you. The Spirit of God tells you that. Now, where there's no Holy Spirit in a person's life, he's open to everything. That's the reason there's so much mass confusion in America because there's so many people who do not have the Holy Spirit in their lives. They do not know Jesus. But when you know Jesus, all those peddlers of the cults 
They come and pound on your door and try to pour all this stuff. There's something inside of you will say, there's something not right about that. You see, God will not let you believe the lie. But when the Holy Spirit is taken out, the Bible says they will believe the lie. And during the days of the tribulation, all the false doctrines and cultists and everything else will have their day. And this earth will be filled with ecumenicism. And there will be a world church. You remember that? If the Lord should come tonight and many believers disappear, there'll still be a church. Next Sunday, the churches of Bowling Green will meet again. And if the statistics that I heard Bailey Smith give in Nashville the other night are right, unbelievable. He said, quoting Billy Graham, 60% of the, of the church members are lost. I don't know whether that's true or not. But if that's true, and the Lord should come, that means 60% of the churches would stay here. 60% of the press, professing church. You know, they're the ones that think we're all a bunch of quacks and nuts. That those that get excited about being saved and getting excited about the things of God and you say, say, well, you preachers are too narrow. You just preach these narrow doctrines and you don't believe in this and you don't do this and you don't do that and so on and so on and so on. You bunch of just a quacks. Well, they're the ones. The ones that think that do not have the witness of the Holy Spirit because the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart won't let you believe that. Now, you may, you may disobey God and you may go on and dance. You may go on and have open free sex. You may go on and tell your dirty jokes. You may go on and do all those things. But if you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, there's something inside that says that's not right. God tells you that. And when you hear preachers storm against it and rail against it, you may say openly he's just narrow, but deep inside you know that's not right. There's something inside of your heart that says that preacher's right, and that's the reason you don't want to be here. You get uncomfortable. You want to get out. Amen. But during the tribulation, they will believe the lie. They believe all that. That's what this scripture is teaching. Now, look at the next trumpet. Beginning in verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from four the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Do you know what that is? When Moses built the tabernacle, if you read back in Exodus, God said, Moses, I want you to make on earth a replica of what is already in heaven. And when Moses, when God told Moses the exact measurements of that tabernacle, and later when he told Solomon the exact measurements, the, the, the temple in Jerusalem was exactly twice as big as the tabernacle in the wilderness. And the tabernacle in the wilderness was, was, was uh, uh, patterned after the tabernacle in heaven. And those golden offering uh, uh, altars. Now this golden altar is the altar of the tabernacle in heaven. And if we want to know what that's like, you go back and read about the tabernacle in the wilderness and you'll find that that's where the blood offering was made. That when the people sinned, they brought a blood offering. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. A man cannot be saved just by saying, Lord, I'm sorry that I've sinned. Now lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take and all that kind of thing. That doesn't save you. 
Nobody can be saved without the application of the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross for our sins. And not until we receive Jesus, who shed his blood for our sins, and we believe and appropriate that blood as a sin covering for our sins, and we say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's been sin in my life. I deserve hell. But I know Jesus died for me. By grace, I receive him. By faith, I receive him. I, I want to reach and, by faith, appropriate that grace and apply it to my heart. That's what salvation is. And this altar in heaven is the altar that symbolizes the blood. Now, I want you to notice what it says. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Loose the four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed who were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year to slay the third part of the earth. And the number of the army was, of the horsemen were 200,000 thousands. That's 200 million. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and brimstone and smoke. By the three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths, for their powers in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt, and the rest of the men who were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts. <clears throat> now hold your finger here and turn to Revelation 16, 12 and look at this for just a moment. Revelation 16, 12. And the sixth angel sounded, the sixth angel sounded, now I want you to notice that this that we have read in chapter 9 is the sixth trumpet. When we get to chapter 16, we have the sixth bowl, which is the ultimate of God's judgment. The sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river Euphrates, and its waters was, were dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now what is he saying here? This is the tribulation period. <clears throat> this is the time when the armies of the north and the armies of the east, according to Ezekiel, are going to amass around Jerusalem to battle. And this scripture says that God is going to let it happen. God is still sovereign. The golden altar, from the golden altar, there's a voice that says, it's time now, it's time now. Remember, everything happens on schedule. It's important for us to know that. Please listen to me. I know some of you are tired, but listen, I believe God laid this on my heart as a message to you. The judgment of the flood took place right on, right on schedule. It wasn't just a happenstance. When the year 722 occurred and the Assyrian hordes came in and, and took over Samaria and the 10 northern tribes went into oblivion to captivity, that was right on schedule. It was 30 years after Amos had preached this thundering message that we talked about last Sunday night. When the year 585 occurred and the Babylonians came in and took over Jerusalem, it was right on schedule. Just like Isaiah had been preaching, just like Micah had been preaching, just like Jeremiah had been preaching. God said, Jeremiah, you go down there and preach 40 years. 
And in 40 years, Jerusalem will be a shambles. And he preached that and he preached it and they called him treasonous. And the Bible tells us that when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, right on schedule, on that moonlit night in Judea, when the angels said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, that wasn't something that just sort of happened. It was right on schedule. And when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, he didn't come because those men were in the upper room praying for the Holy Spirit to come. He came right on schedule. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, then the Holy Spirit came. Now, all of these things happen just in schedule. There's coming a day when the Euphrates River is going to be dried up. Did you know... This doesn't have to happen. It may not have anything to do with it at all, but already the Russians have given Euphrates River, you're aware, is in the nation Iraq. And interestingly enough, the war that's going on between Iran and Iraq right now is going on right at the, at the, at the mouth of the Euphrates and Tigris rivers as, where they empty into the Persian Gulf. <clears throat> and the, the Russia has given Iraq money to build dams over the Euphrates River so that the Euphrates River has been rerouted and the original body and bed of the Euphrates River, they've experimented with taking troops across on dry land. That's exactly what the Bible said would happen. But it hadn't happened yet because it's not time yet. And this scripture says the kings of the east, maybe that's China, and the kings of the north, maybe that's Russia, will all come down on Israel. Now, when all this begins to happen, the scripture says all of these nations are gathering. Now notice the awful judgments that are taking place. I saw the horses in the vision then that sat on them had breastplates of fire, jacinth, and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. How would you like to meet something like that? Now, I'm not sure that we're to think that during this tribulation period there are going to be horses come along with heads of lions and so on. Possibly these are visions of symbols that symbolize something far, far more sinister than lions or horses because look in verse 18 by these three was the fire was the third part of men killed by fire by smoke and by brimstone which issued out of their mouths and their power is in their mouth and in their tails they have tails like serpents and their heads with their heads they do hurt but I want you to notice the men that did not get killed in this judgment they all went over and repented. And they said, now, God, please forgive us. Oh, we've seen the awful judgment that's coming on this earth. Oh, God, please help us. They didn't do any such thing. The Bible says they got more stubborn, more hard-hearted, and they did not repent. Some have asked, why is it in Pharaoh's day that the Scripture says that Pharaoh hardened his heart? And then later it says that, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And people have been trying to figure all that out. Look at this passage. Judgment does not make people repent. It's too late to repent when judgment comes. Remember that. 
you sin against your body and you get a diseased body and then you repent, that judgment's still there. You cut your arm off and then you repent and say, oh, I'm so sorry my arm's off. Your arm's not going to grow back. It's off. You marry out of the will of God. And there'll be judgment on it through the years ahead. Now, God will forgive if there's that real repentance. But ordinarily, judgment does not make, make people repent. They, their heart just gets harder, harder, harder. And during the tribulation, people, people are not going to repent. They're going to get harder and harder and harder and harder. In hell, nobody repents. When the Holy Spirit is withdrawn, nobody repents. Why? Because the only way you can repent is for the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart. That's all the time I have tonight. I'm not through, but I'm going to quit. But I want to say this. Beloved, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, God wants to save you. But the only way for you to be saved is for you to repent of sin. And the only way you can repent of sin is for the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart and to draw you. And if you sense the tiniest little bit of dealing of God inside your heart, a faster pulse beat, a faster heartbeat, or a sense of uneasiness, or a sense of moral failure, or a realization that there's something that's going on that you need to get in on and somehow you don't understand it all, but God has spoken to you and you want to say, I want Jesus. That's God's Spirit. And if you'll come, He'll forgive you tonight and cleanse you and receive you. I urge you to do it. Come. And if you're already saved, and somehow you've been out of God's will, you haven't been where God wants you to be, and you've been heading down a wrong road, and somehow you've been running, running interference to the will of God, and you've known in your heart what God wants you to do, but you've said no, or you said I can't, or I don't see how I can, or somehow you haven't been as faithful to Jesus in these days, as God wants you to be, and you've given all kinds of excuses to God for unfaithfulness. If you'll come to God just as honestly as you can and say, Lord, I'm going to throw all my excuses out the window. I want to be what you want me to be. I yield to thee. Christ receiveth sinful men. Now there's time. Then men's hearts will get harder and harder and harder. I urge you to come tonight to Jesus, just as you are, without one plea but that his blood was shed for thee. I urge you to step out for Jesus Christ tonight. Come and say, I want us to take an open stand for God. I'm not ashamed of him. I want everybody to know that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I urge you to do it now. May we pray, every head bowed, every eye closed.